John chapter 4, verse 31. It says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him to eat, or brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. And I ask you this morning, as I did yesterday, if Jesus' meat was to do the will of the Father, what is yours? If Jesus' meat was to do the will of the Father, what is yours? We find Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. It says He went about all the cities and all the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And He, he sees the multitudes and it says He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And then He says to His disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. And everywhere that Jesus went, there were needs. There was desperation. He saw His people ravaged by sin and its consequences. Its consequences were horrendous and, and the people were scattered abroad and everywhere He went, there, 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 there were people that needed a shepherd. They were scattered abroad. And as we here this morning gaze off into distant lands, and as we look right here at home, the ever-growing world cries out in their need. They hunger, and the only answer is Jesus, the bread of life. The only way to quench their thirst is Jesus, the one who gives living water. And while the world is yet in their need, without hope, without God in the world, the, the Christian, we, the believers, are tempted to, to draw back rather than advance. We see the enormity of the task in 8 billion people, 196 countries, thousands of people groups, languages without the Scriptures, and opportunities in the harvest field abound. And with so many options clamoring for our attention, it's easy to draw back instead of advancing or to try to figure out in our own strength and in our own minds and, our own, and do our own wills to try to figure out how we're going to reach this world with the gospel instead of going to God and asking Him what He wants us to do. In order to make a difference in this world, you must be committed to doing God's will. Lift up your eyes, look on the fields, weep over the lost, determine to give your life to reach the world with the gospel, but don't you dare decide for yourself what it is that you will do in the harvest field. If you want to make a difference in this world, you have to God, let God decide that for you. Psalm 46.10, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Take some time to be still and to seek out God and His will. This greatness of the need has not taken Him by surprise. He's got a plan. He has a place for you in this harvest. That place of choosing is God's alone. Yesterday we saw Jesus' absolute commitment to doing the will of God. And that commitment to His Father's will carried Him from a place of success to a place of disregard. 
That commitment caused him to suffer weariness and exhaustion and thirst. That commitment compelled him to converse with one who no one else would. And that commitment constrained him to focus on that which mattered rather than on fulfilling his own physical needs. And as a result of his humble obedience to his father to travel through Samaria, we get to read of his conversation with this Samaritan woman as he offered to her the living water. Today I'd like to pick up where we left off and just see some more things that happened as a result of Jesus' commitment to His Father's will and encourage you to have that same commitment to God's will as you head out into the harvest fields. So this morning we see that when you are committed, as Jesus was, to doing the will of the Father first, good men will marvel and misunderstand. Good men will marvel and misunderstand. Verse 27, picking up where we left off, it says, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Here we have Jesus. He's right at the end of this long, uninterrupted conversation with this Samaritan woman. And in compassion, he, he looks directly into her eyes and he, and he tells her everything that's in her soul and he reveals her sin to her and, and her desperate need of a Savior. He offers to her the living water that will cause her to never thirst again. And he allows her to try multiple times to divert from the message. And then finally she throws out our last desperate attempt to get the focus off of her. And she says, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he's come, he'll tell us all things. And then verse 25, we read yesterday the precious words where Jesus said, I I am he that speaketh to thee. I can imagine myself there listening to this private conversation. Do you ever stop and look at the Scriptures and recognize these are real people? It's not just a story in a book from years ago. This is a real lady with real needs. One of the sheep that were scattered abroad is having no shepherd. Try to put yourself in the story and imagine yourself there talking with a Creator like this. Jesus is speaking with her and he has dismantled every objection she could have. And as he reveals to her who he truly is, I can almost hear a deafening silence. As she finally gets it and her heart explodes with joy and momentarily she can't decide if she's going to fall down at his feet and and wipe his feet with her hair and her tears or she's going to jump up and shout for joy because she has found the Messiah or the Messiah has found her. And in one incredible moment, she's finally satisfied. She's found Him. She's no longer thirsty. And it's right at this moment, in verse 27, that the disciples break into the scene. Having returned from buying food in town. They break into this sacred moment. And clearly God allowed them to come at this time because He wanted them to see Himself speaking with this lady. I can see the disciples in my mind walking down the dusty path. Toward the well. They picked up some food and they're talking, maybe laughing, telling stories, eating. Maybe they're talking about how disgusting it was to travel through Samaria. And they're walking towards the well and they get close. And I can see just one disciple maybe looks up and sees what's going on and there's Jesus at the well with this lady. And then another one, he taps on the shoulder and he looks and next thing you know they're all staring and Jaws drop open and they're gaping in wonder and in marvel. Like, what on earth is Jesus doing? 
They're all thinking the same thing, yet not one uttered a word. They're thinking, why is Jesus talking with her? Doesn't he know who she is? Is he seeking something from her? They didn't say it, but they thought it. These were his own disciples, and yet they marveled and didn't understand. In the same way as you seek to serve God and do His will, there will be some who will marvel at you. Some who will question your motives. Others who will criticize, whether in their hearts or to your face. Don't they know that missions isn't done this way? They'll think or say. They'll gape in disbelief and maybe discourage you with their words and actions. They won't understand. You see, Jews weren't supposed to talk to women in public. Samaritan women? Even worse. An adulterous Samaritan woman? How dare he do such a thing? Unheard of. As you seek to do the will of God, some of your harshest critics may come from good people who simply marvel just they don't understand. Sadly, in the world of missions, this happens all too often. Perhaps God's worked in your heart or the heart of another of maybe going overseas and working in an orphanage or such. Showing them the love of Christ and seeking to offer the living water and their church is behind them and their church has sent them out all excited about what God has called them to do. And then they find as they go that some will wag their fingers and some will marvel and some will say, orphanages aren't the way to go. There's other ways to do missions that are better. Perhaps you're a single lady. And you and your church believe it's God's will for you to go serve on a foreign field. You may find that as you go, people will stare in disbelief. Others will have the gall to criticize and say, God doesn't call single women to be missionaries. And good-meaning people will marvel and misunderstand that you are simply seeking to do the will of your master, but don't let the marveling deter you from doing God's will. Some may say as you're raising support to go serve in a foreign country. Now, the old missionaries didn't do it that way. They just up and went by faith and God provided their needs and God did. And while they stand by marveling yet doing nothing themselves, they seek to discourage you from doing God's will. Some may say if you do missions, you have to do it exactly like the Apostle Paul did. He first went to the big cities and the metropolitan areas to start churches. He trained and sent converts to the smaller cities and towns. And I reply, but what if God wants me to go to the little island of 500 people? Should I not obey His voice? What if God wants me to work at the radio station, broadcasting the Bible into closed countries? Should I not obey His voice? What if God just wants me to travel and help missionaries with my building skills while I serve in my home church? Should I not obey His voice? There are countless ways that marveling bystanders will seek to discourage you from doing God's will. But I want to encourage you this morning. Keep your eyes on Christ. Be committed to do His will no matter if others marvel and misunderstand. Maybe God's working in your life this morning about a specific area of service. And you're afraid to do it Because you think others might not understand. You think that they have plans for your life that are better than what God's plans are. And you're scared to do what you think God wants you to do because of what others might think. 
There are multitudes of ways that you can get the gospel into the harvest fields of the world. And God doesn't use any of us in the exact same way. He wants you involved. He's got a plan for you. He's got a specific place in the harvest field for you. And the only way you're going to know that is to walk with Him and talk with Him and speak with Him and know His will and do His will and be committed to Him instead of anybody else. When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, good men will marvel and misunderstand. Number two, when you're committed to doing the will of the Father, sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Verse 28, it says, The woman left her water pot. And she went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So the disciples, they come back just in time to see the tail end of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman. They stand there amazed and marveling that Jesus was talking with such a woman. And they're silent and they're thinking and they're processing what they're seeing. And all of a sudden, while they're trying to figure out what's going on, the woman with whom Jesus is talking drops her water pot and takes off. Now you can imagine being a disciple. What, what, what are they thinking now? Oh man, wow, I wonder what he said to her. What did he say to scare this horrible lady away? They had no idea that her eyes had just been opened and she had seen him as the Messiah. She had seen the light and tasted of the water and she was now satisfied. She wasn't leaving Jesus in fear. She wasn't leaving in anger. She was leaving in such a hurry because her life had just been transformed by the Master. As a result of Jesus leaving Judea and traveling through Samaria, she had met Him. And her life would never be the same. She was transformed and she couldn't wait any longer. She had found Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. She left her water pot because she was coming back. She would still need it to fill it with regular water every day. But now she had the living water and she must hurry and get back with as many as possible so they could also meet the Messiah before He left. It doesn't say that she ran. But in my mind, I imagine her running with a fresh burst of life in a hurry Because she wanted to get everybody possible to him before he left. She runs and she tells the men of the city, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Amazing how Christ can transform a life, isn't it? Since when are sinners excited to share with others that they met someone who could tell them all about the sin in their heart? Don't sinners usually want to hide their sin so it's not exposed? But a sinner who's met the Messiah is glad to share this truth because the Messiah not only sees inside, but He also cleanses the inside. A true, genuine, transformed believer comes to the light and He lets Christ expose their sin and then cleanse it. When's the last time you were overjoyed and excited that Jesus showed you your own sin and then cleansed you from it? Are you you excited when He convicts you of sin, even as a believer, and then cleanses you from that sin? Are you willing to share with the world what He's done for you and how He's cleansed you of your sin? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and that He was buried and rose again. When you get the opportunity to witness to others of Christ, don't only talk of Jesus dying for their sins. 
Tell them with joy how Jesus forgave you of your sins. Tell them how He changed your life. Tell them your testimony. When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, sinners will be transformed by the power of the gospel. Don't think that God can't use you. Don't you fall prey to the lie that you're not good enough or you don't have what it takes. None of us are. If you'll simply be committed to doing the will of God, no matter what, sinners will be transformed as you share the gospel. It's not about you anyway. It's not about your charisma. It's not about your talent or the lack thereof. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not you. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You just offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice, ready and willing to do anything and everything and speak to anyone and everyone anywhere He should show you. And when you do, you'll get to see sinners transformed by the power of the gospel. There is great reward in submitting your will to the will of Jesus. When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, good men will marvel and misunderstand. Sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Third, some will try to dissuade and distract you from the task at hand. Verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples to one another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? So the woman whose life has been transformed, she's excited. She leaves her water pot. She goes to the city. She brings back a bunch of men to see Jesus. And the disciples, still oblivious to what's going on, try to distract and dissuade him from the task at hand. Master, eat! Good-meaning people will give you advice that distracts. Jesus did need food. He was hungry. He'd gone on a long journey. He was thirsty too. But they didn't really know what was going on. They didn't understand that Jesus was busy doing the will of His Father. Something so much more important than food for His hungry stomach. Oh, how often good things and good-meaning people will distract us from our commitment to doing God's will. Don't let that happen to you. Satan is sly and he's subtle and he knows that sometimes the best way to dissuade you from doing God's will is not to devour you like a lion, but it's to distract you from that which is important. Growing up around here since I was a teenager, I've seen it over and over and over again. A student comes and is sold out to doing God's will. They come to ambassador on fire for God, ready to go out into the harvest fields. And then another student comes along right when you're struggling, right when you're vulnerable, and he says, hey, times are tough. You're killing yourself trying to work that job and go to school at the same time. Why don't you take a semester off? I've got this amazing job opportunity for you. Pays really, really, really well. You can take just a little time off and make a bunch of money in a lot faster time, and then you can come back to school and pay it all off a lot quicker. Next thing you know, years have passed. And a good thing, a job. It is God's will that we work. 
But the job and the money distracted from the will of God and God's will was never done. It was never accomplished. Satan was successful in distracting so many that they veered away and they got caught up in all kinds of good things, maybe even good things in ministry at times, but they didn't do the specific will of God for their life. Satan is a master at distractions. And if you don't keep your hand to the plow without looking back, when God leads you, you'll miss out on a harvest. And one day you'll stand before the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ empty-handed. And the only thing you'll be able to say is, Lord, I I know you wanted me to, but I, I couldn't because I had to do this and I had to take care of this and this happened in my life and all these distractions took us away from that which was most important, which is doing the will of God. Jesus refused to be distracted by His disciples because He was committed to His Father's will. What was His reply to the distractions? I have meat, He says, that you know not of. You don't have a clue what's going on here, guys. I have something greater. What should be your reply when distractions come your way? My meat is to do the will of my Father. Keep on focus. Keep your eyes on Christ. There's a thousand things out there, good things and fine things, but they're not the thing. When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, good men will marvel and misunderstand but sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Some will try to dissuade and distract you from the task at hand. Number four, your meat will bring true satisfaction rather than temporary. Your meat will bring true satisfaction rather than temporary. Verse 33, it says, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was physically hungry. He was weary, we read earlier in the passage. He was exhausted and thirsty. He'd been on a long journey and he could have used a good meal. Verse 33, the disciples are trying to figure it out. Maybe they're thinking, when he says, I have meat that you know not of, maybe they're thinking, surely, surely he didn't eat food from that woman. Did somebody bring him food? Where, Where did he get his food from? And while they're discussing and trying to figure things out, Jesus answers them. And he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Something so much greater than fulfilling our physical needs. Oh, how the flesh calls our attention so often away from that which matters. The joy and satisfaction of doing God's will is so much greater than any physical pleasure or satisfaction you can have. Eat your food, have your pleasure, enjoy your simple pleasures, says Jesus, but I have something greater. I have food that satisfies. I have meat about which you know nothing, says Jesus. What is your meat? What brings satisfaction and joy to your heart? Do you find yourself chasing after the frivolous things of life with greater urgency than you find yourself doing God's will? Does the thought of missing a day of of meals bring pain? But the thought of missing out on doing God's will one moment of the day not even bother you? You don't know what you're missing. 
I have meat that you know not of. I can live without food. I can fast and handle it. I can let my stomach grumble a while. I can be weak physically, but inward I'm satisfied and I'm satiated because I'm doing the will of my Father and that brings true satisfaction and true peace to my heart. Now I have meat that you know not of. My, my meat results in transformed lives. The disciples here, you got to give them a break. They, they had left everything and followed Christ. Here they were with them traveling through Samaria. Nobody else would do that. But they had so much to learn. Because you see, not too far in the future, they were going to face persecutions. They were going to face torture and sufferings unimaginable to them at that point. They would need this lesson in the future. God had a plan for them and there was a huge harvest to be reaped all around the world. But as they suffered persecution, they would be tempted to try to run for their lives and try to figure out how to satisfy the the needs of the flesh rather than keeping their concentration on that which mattered the most and that which satisfies. True satisfaction only comes from doing God's will. Are you searching and looking? Longing for satisfaction of a life that has meaning and a life that matters? I hope you are. All of us do. A life that makes a difference in this world? You'll not find it unless you're committed to doing the will of God. My meat, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him that sent me. When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, good men will marvel and misunderstand. Sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Some will try to dissuade and distract you from the task at hand. Your meat will bring true satisfaction, though, rather than temporary. Fifth, when you're committed to doing the will of the Father, you will finish the work He's asked you to do. You'll finish the work He's asked you to do. Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to... Finish his work. Finish it? What was there to finish? You see, Jesus offering himself as the living water to this lady would have been no good if he hadn't gone on to finish his father's work. Jesus was so committed to his father's will that not only did He obey it every moment of every day, all the 33 years of His life on this earth, but He finished it. He completed the task and He didn't quit no matter the pain and suffering until that day when He was nailed to the cross with your sins and mine and in agony He cried out there and He said, It is finished. He finished His Father's work, His Father's will with terrible cost. With grievous, horrendous, personal consequence, Jesus finished the task that His Father sent Him to do. He didn't shirk back at the cross. He continued on. And He died with our sins upon Him on that cruel cross. Are you willing to suffer to finish God's work as Jesus did? Are you so committed to God's will that you're willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes you, whatever God wants you to do, whatever suffering it might bring to finish the will of God? 
When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, you will continue to obey at great cost. You will not quit. You will not throw in the towel. You will persevere and you'll continue on because you're committed to God's will because His meat is that which satisfies. On the other hand, when you get sidetracked and you do good things, especially ministry things, but things in the ministry that never were God's will for you, that happens, you know. Graduate from Bible college and you you decide for yourself what you're going to do and you go into the ministry and it looks good on the outside, but you know and God knows you're not doing His will. One one, One of two things happens when you're not doing God's will, but you're doing good things like that. On the one hand, you'll shrink back and quit eventually. Or maybe, as I've seen many do, you'll hop around from ministry to ministry to ministry, never satisfied, never happy, always disgruntled at the pastor you work with, always disgruntled at the deacons in your church, or the members who are hard to pastor, or the horrible people on this mission field, or the missionary across town. The list can go on and on and on. When it isn't God's will, you have nothing to lean on when the hard times come. And you'll shrink back at the task. And you're not going to finish it. You think it, your idea of ministry is going to satisfy you, but it won't. Only God's will will satisfy your heart. The other thing that will happen is possibly you will succeed at that which isn't God's will. But your rewards will be temporary. You may get accolades from men. You may get pats on the back for doing good ministry deeds. But God doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience to His will. If you're committed to doing the will of God, you'll finish the work He's asked you to do and you'll only cease when He asks you to cease. And at times He does ask you to cease and He leads you to another work, but make sure it's God that leads When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, good men will marvel and misunderstand. Sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Some will try to to dissuade and distract you from the task. Your meat will bring true satisfaction rather than temporary. You'll finish the work He's called you to do. And next, God will show you the harvest field that He wants you to see. God will show you the harvest field that He wants you to see. Verse 35, Say not ye that there are four months and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. Are you struggling with knowing what to do when you see all the needs of the world presented to you? Just be committed to doing the will of the Father. And he'll help you to see the harvest field. You can't work up the emotion and make it happen. But when you're committed to doing God's will, he'll open your eyes and he'll show you the field he wants you to see. Here in this passage, Jesus wasn't speaking generally of every field of the world. He was speaking specifically of the field of this Samaritan town. The woman had left her water pot, verse 28, and went to the city to say to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. 
Is not this the Christ? And while she's gone, the disciples have this conversation about the harvest with Jesus. And Jesus knows that she's coming back with a crowd. He knows that her life has been transformed and she's already evangelizing the town. He knows that more are going to come following her. He knows their hearts are ready and the harvest is about to be reaped. It's white. It doesn't need four more months. It's now. And knowing this, he tells his disciples, Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white unto harvest. And I can see Jesus in his mind. He can already see the people on their way. Lives being changed by the power of the gospel. As Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, something huge is happening. Something they can't see. The Samaritan woman whose life has been transformed is testifying that she's found the Messiah. She's already got a whole group of new believers that believed her and coming back with her. On their way to the well, truly these fields were white under harvest. Many times we look out on the needs of the world. We're filled with compassion. And we get overwhelmed at the need So we try to figure out how to do it on our own. And then there's people that, because of that, they go. But not where God wants them to go. They serve, but not where God wants them to serve. They're committed, but not to do the will of God. They're they're bold, but only to do what they have decided. But when you're committed to doing God's will, you'll see the harvest field that He wants you to see. You see, Jesus didn't tell His disciples that every field was white unto harvest because every field is not. There were places that rejected Jesus. There were places that were not yet white unto harvest. But Jesus here was teaching His disciples an important lesson that they would need not too far in the future. He would be crucified, He would be buried and rise again, and then He would ascend into heaven to sit at the, the right hand of His Father. Jesus knew that His disciples would be scattered. Their followers would be scattered abroad abroad under deep persecution. And as they went, rather than being tempted to simply run and hide their light under a bushel, seeking to survive and only fill their bellies with temporary meat, they would need to remember this story so that as they're scattered abroad, they would remember this and be able to lift up their eyes and look on the fields and let God show them the ones that were white as they labored for Him. Why was this Samaritan town already white unto harvest? Whereas other places, maybe not. Why did Jesus say in verse 35, Say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh harvest? Because someone had already done the sowing. Someone had already labored. Someone had already shed tears and maybe lost their life as they were sowing out in the harvest fields. There was only a harvest because someone had planted the seed. God had always had a faithful remnant through the centuries that had been faithful to plant the seed. And we read of some of them in Hebrews 11 where it says that women received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder. 
They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. They wandered in deserts and they wandered in mountains and they wandered in dens and caves of the earth so they could sow the seed for the coming Messiah. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, we read of Stephen, the first martyr of the church, as he's preaching fearlessly to those who would soon stone him. And he cries out to a crowd that was not white under the harvest at that point. And he says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. There had been centuries of seed sown by these faithful, unnamed prophets and servants of God who were slaughtered and who wandered as vagabonds through the earth because they proclaimed the coming of the just one. And through the centuries they had sown the seed. John the Baptist himself at this moment was in prison soon to lose his head because he was preparing the way for the Messiah, sowing the seed. Faithful servants of God sowed the seed and never got to see the harvest. They were faithful to do God's will no matter the cost. You don't harvest if there's been no sowing. Some will say that all the harvest fields are white and so you get excited and you go and when you don't reap a harvest right away, you think you failed. And you're tempted to quit and go back on your commitment to God's will. And sadly, some will quit and they'll give up and they'll throw in the towel and they'll turn back at the first hint of struggle and suffering. And they'll not stay in the harvest fields. Why? Because they're committed only to reaping a harvest, but not committed to sowing in God's harvest field, whether they get to be the ones that reap it or not. If you're committed to doing the will of God, you will see the harvest field that God wants you to see. You realize that a Harvest field is still considered a harvest field even if it's only at the point of being sowed. You don't call it a sowing field. It's a harvest field even if it's only at the point of being the seed sown and then watering. And then you've got to wait for it to germinate and grow and, and then you have a harvest, a plant, a, a, a reaping. If you'll commit to obey Him and His will, He'll show you where He wants you to go. He may send you to a hard field that needs to be plowed so you can sow seed so that others can come behind and reap a harvest. There are fields like that all over the world right now, hard places that no one wants to go because you don't get to reap. If you're committed to doing God's work in your own way, you're only going to see the field of service that you want to see. You go to the place where it looks like reaping is being done. You go to the easy places. You'll shy away from the field that's rocky and hard and difficult and needs to be plowed and worked and planted. Not realizing that others plowed and worked and planted so that you could have a harvest today. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. Look on the hard fields as well. Ask God to help you to see into the future. As those that we read of in Hebrews 11, 
Ask Him to help you see those fields in the future. And be willing to plant there, seeing a harvest down the road, even if you don't get to see it with your own eyes, seeing it with the eye of faith. Some might end up going to a field where you do get to do a lot of reaping. Some fields are wider than others. I think even the hard fields, there there is some reaping to be done even in those right now. But as you go and as you reap, don't be selfish and not sow more seed as you go along because there's another generation coming behind you. And there's going to be no harvest for them if you don't sow the seed and pay the price and pay the cost. How many churches have missed out on the blessing of partnering together with missionaries who are dedicated and committed to doing God's will because they don't think the missionary was reaping enough? Imagine a farmer firing his employee because he didn't start reaping a harvest as soon as he got out to the field. It needed to be planted first. It took Adoniram Judson, I think it was six years before he saw his first convert. What if he'd have quit after four? Perhaps that's why some of the old timers had to go and go by faith and no one would support them because they thought his work was fruitless. They didn't want to partner with someone that didn't see a reaping. But then all of a sudden when a harvest comes in and the reaping is done, all of a sudden everybody wants in on it. But no one wants to do the sowing. It took the blood of Jim Elliott and four other young missionaries to plant a seed that would germinate before a reaping could be done among the Aka Indians. You don't know where to go. You don't know what your place is in the harvest. Just commit to doing God's will no matter the cost. And He'll show you the field, the exact field, the exact place that He wants you to go. It may be one that needs the seed sown. And the blood of the martyrs to be shed so that another laborer in the future can reap a harvest. Will you be that one? Will you lift up your eyes as Jesus said? Will you look on the fields of the world and be moved with compassion on the sheep who are scattered abroad with no shepherd? When you're committed to doing the will of the Father, good men will marvel and misunderstand. Sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Some will try to dissuade and distract you from the task at hand. Your meat will bring true satisfaction rather than temporary. You'll finish the work God asked you to do. God will show you the field that He wants you to see. I've got too many points this morning, but we're getting close. Next, when you're committed to doing God's will, you'll be humbled and recognize the true owner of the harvest. You'll be humbled and recognize the true owner of the harvest. Verse 37, and herein is that saying true, one soweth, or verse 36, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. When you're committed to doing the will of God, you'll be humbled and you'll recognize the true owner of the harvest. Who's the owner? It's the one who pays the wages, isn't it? God Himself is the owner of the harvest field. And He pays wages. Sin also has wages. They're not so good, are they? But when you do the will of the Father, there are wages to be paid. 
Souls that you'll get to take to heaven with you. A bountiful harvest for your labor. Even if you don't get to see that harvest until you get to heaven. When you recognize truly that the Lord is the owner of the harvest, you'll give up your own will to choose where you want to serve in the harvest field. When you recognize the Lord as the owner of the harvest, you'll submit to spend your life not only to reaping, but also to sowing, even if you must leave the reaping to a future laborer. When you truly recognize the Lord as the owner of the harvest, you will enthusiastically and joyfully reap, but you'll know that it was the labor of others who made it possible. And you'll understand that one day you get to rejoice together with those that sowed. When you truly recognize the Lord as the owner of the harvest, you won't seek to build your own kingdom out in the harvest field. Because it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It belongs to God. You have no right to choose your place in the harvest field. No right. But I can assure you of this. If you'll commit yourself to doing God's will, He'll show you your place. He's the owner. He'll guide you with His eye. You say, I don't know how to know God's will. Walk with Him. Do the will that He shows you in His Word and, and, and spend time and know Him and don't get distracted by everything else. He doesn't, he's not hiding it from you. He'll show you. You'll know. He indwells you. There's no secret formula. He'll give you joy, supernatural strength to do exactly what He asks of you to do in His harvest field when you're committed to doing it. Good men will marvel and misunderstand. Sinners will be transformed by the gospel. Some will dissuade and distract you from the task at hand. Your meat will bring true satisfaction rather than temporary. You will finish the work He's asked you to do. He will show you the harvest field that He wants you to see and you'll be humbled and recognize that He is the true owner. And last, even when you are committed to do the will of the Father, there are some who never will believe you. But they'll believe Jesus when they hear Him for themselves. Verse 41 and 42, it says, And many more believed because of His own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard Him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. So right after Jesus has this conversation about the harvest field of the disciples, the woman comes and she brings a crowd of believers to Him. They believed on the Messiah because of her word, because of what he'd done in her life, because of her testimony of how he had showed her all things whatsoever she did. And as you go out into the harvest field, you can share your testimony like the Samaritan woman did. And you can share the gospel and you can say, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. And many will believe for the saying of the woman that says in verse 29, many believed. However, there are also many that had to see Jesus for themselves. It says, and many more believed because of His own word. When you're committed to doing God's will, you'll never give up on those that don't believe. You'll just keep trying to get them to Jesus. It'll take time, take fasting and prayer. may even in some places take your own blood to be shed out on the harvest field. It might take your personal suffering for them to see Jesus in you. But oh, when they finally meet the Master, what a change 
He can work in them because they see Him for themselves. Don't only look at the harvest you see right now. Look with the eye of faith into the future and get involved. You, are you committed to doing the will of God as Jesus was? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What is your meat? Jesus said, go. Who are you to say no? Jesus said to every creature, who are you to say to my people? Jesus said, preach the gospel. Who are you to say he wasn't talking about me? Jesus said, the fields are white and the harvest right now. Who are you to say, I'll go later? I know I crammed a lot of info in this morning. My prayer and goal is not that you remember the outline. But if you remember one thing, I hope you remember that Jesus is the king of all kings. And he humbled himself to do the will of his father. And he asks of you to do the same. Will you surrender your will to his today?